This is Stephanie Rupert. Thank you for tuning in to the Naked Humanity podcast, where we take the deepest look possible at what it means to be human. Today is episode number 38, and I have on Professor Peter Dinesen, who's a specialist in trust in societies. So I just spoke with Peter, and we had a fascinating and important conversation about trust. Trust is one of those things that you might not necessarily pay attention to or think about in a systematic way or think about as relevant to our country's functioning the way you would think about uh, media or uh, civil discourse or uh, movements and all that sort of stuff. But trust happens to be really foundational to not just how we function on a personal level, but how our societies manage to function as well. So this is something that is widely studied and really, uh, really important in the academy because we're trying desperately to make sense of uh, what it is that makes people trusting and how we can facilitate that. How can we make it happen? You know, what are the things that make trust happen and how do we create policies and institutions and practices that can support that? You know, there are massive differences across the planet uh, in terms of how much different countries and different communities trust one another. And of course, differences within uh, those groups. And it's really, really important for us to understand why. You know, uh, Professor Dinesen actually is in Denmark and has, as such, um, quite a unique perspective because Denmark is known as one of the more trusting countries in the world. Uh, and that creates an interesting case study, an interesting uh, world that we can look at to understand why places like, for example, the United States are so distrusting. You know, trust has been on the decline in the United States for uh, a few, several decades now, and we need to get to the bottom of it and quickly. Um, if a country, if a community isn't particularly trusting, there is or will be uh, corruption and uh, rule breaking and people may pay their taxes less and may treat each other uh, poorly. There may be uh, increases in hostility and violence. And of course, on a personal level, uh, carrying around heavy loads of distrust can, can be really disruptive, perhaps even on an existential level, you know, it can... Um, it can be really unpleasant to, to bear uh, so much distrust towards your fellow people, to walk around uh, with suspicion all of the time. And so we really need to look at what it is that makes us trust one another. Uh, if we want to heal ourselves and our communities. So um, Professor Dinesen's uh, Peter is a specialist in these sorts of questions. He is a professor of political science uh, at the University of uh, Copenhagen and is looking at social trust, our dispositions towards immigrants, um, redistribution of wealth, um, political participation, macroeconomics, many, many, many really important questions. And he is a sought after, uh, really highly regarded a uh, researcher and theorist in this regard, uh, precisely because of the high quality of his research and also uh, the cutting 
edge insights that he brings to them and ability to discuss them uh, on forums such as this one uh, with people who are interested such as me. So it is a huge honor. We are all, I think, uh, really quite honored to have him on. Um, thank you again so much for your interest in these topics. Uh, I am, as ever, so grateful to have you on. Uh, please do uh, be in touch with your thoughts about this podcast. Uh, if you so like, you can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stephanie Ruber, and you can always email uh, us at Stephanie Ruber at nakedhumanity.org, and uh, we will get back to you in due course. Thank you again uh, so much for tuning in. Uh, without further ado, here is Professor Peter Dinesen. Thanks. Okay, welcome, Peter. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, thank you, thank you. It's uh, it's actually pretty uncommon for me to talk to people on the side of the ocean, so it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very nice, um, and it's an honor. I actually I don't often. I don't know. I think that this question about trust is, is so magnificently important. And at least in the circles that I'm in, um, it's, it's quite hard to, uh, people aren't often having empirical discussions about this, you know, where they're actually bringing in data to, to back things up. We talk about how important trust is, but we don't actually study right. it in a rigorous way. And so I'm, I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm, I'm thrilled to, uh, to be on the show. Um, I, I, I actually think uh, what just what you what you're saying I think is, it, it kind of resonates with my experience that uh, you know when you talk to most people they they sort of intuitively say yes trust is tremendously important but but and so it's just a, a general feeling that most people have but but I think sort of the the more sort of empirical assessment of it is is something that you know people for good reasons do not necessarily know so much about necessarily and and I mean I think that's one in, one reason why. I, why I think it's an interesting, interesting topic to study, and uh, yeah, and of course it's nice to uh, to to delve into something that people find important. I mean, I, I think that's just a that that's a nice motivation uh, in a sense. Yeah, and I also think sometimes people don't notice how important it is until you sort of bring it up or you tell them and it's like, wow, you're right. You know, like my level of distrust or the level of distrust that I feel around people. Like this is something I end up talking about with Americans all the time. People are like, you're right. Like I have become really distrustful. Um, that, I mean, I, I think that's, that's, that's very true. And I, um, I, I, uh, I have studied, uh, trust of immigrants, uh, quite a lot. And, uh, for example, looking at what happens to trust levels when you move from uh, a context or a country where trust is very low mm -hmm. uh, to a high trust setting, uh, for example, Denmark or one of the other Scandinavian countries. And, and this is actually, uh, you know, uh, when I talk about my findings, which is basically that trust tends to increase quite substantially if you move from, from a low trust to a high trust setting. A lot of people can sort of uh, exemplify that, you know. Brazilians living in Denmark, for example, trust is very low in Brazil, and they say that you know this is something that that sort of uh, it's just very pervasive. It's all over. Like when you're in Denmark, you can you can kind of feel trust in in, in many different ways that they didn't actually think about before before coming here because uh, you know they're used to like the, the low trust context. So I think it's um, yeah, it's very accurate with you how you're describing it. Mm. Um, thank you. Yeah. So maybe we should. Uh, set a foundation or, or what have you. Can you tell us a little bit about um, more specifically what this concept of trust or social trust is and, and why it, uh, how you see it mattering in society? Right, right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So, uh, you know, there, there's, uh, first of all, I think it's important to say that, 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 that social trust is, uh, so the social aspect indicates that it relates to, to other human beings. So it's different from, from trust in institutions, for example. And, uh, you know, we might talk a little bit about that later, but, uh, but social trust is specifically about trusting other people. And I think you can kind of see it as essentially like a belief uh, that other people will um, act cooperatively towards you or at least not willfully against your interests. Um, and uh, I, well, it's not only me saying this, but I, I think it's a, it's a tremendously important uh, phenomena in, in, in modern societies. And, and why is that? So, so to be a bit more specific, um, I'm mainly interested in what is sometimes called generalized social trust. So that essentially uh, refers to trust in strangers, trust in people we don't know, that we don't have any information about. Um, and, and that's different from, let's say, trust in uh, your family or trust in uh, you know, people who are like yourself or your neighbors. It, this is sort of the, the, the generalized or more abstract form of trust in others that we don't know. And that, and that form of trust... I argue, and, and others, or based on others, is is very important in uh, in in uh, dealing with strangers, essentially, because th this is uh, kind of the the prior you meet other people with that you don't have any prior information about. So, people you don't know, whether you tend to act more or less cooperatively towards them, that to a large degree depends on uh, on uh, whether you trust other people or not. So so this is what you use when you're in a situation where you don't have any uh, any uh, uh, other information at your disposal. Mm. Um, and so are there things that we see um, that are associated with trust, right? Mm -hmm. So um, uh, like you said, lower levels of cooperation or right, right. Uh, certain reactions to immigrants or like, what are we, what are the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can, maybe I can elaborate a little bit. So, so uh, without, you know, becoming too technical, I, I think the idea is that um, it's very well uh, substantiated, uh, shown empirically that, that, that humans are what is sometimes called conditional cooperators. It means that we would like to uh, cooperate. So it's kind of a, what is sometimes called a tip for test strategy. Mm. So we would like to cooperate, but only if other people also, also cooperate. So again, the tip for test strategy. And uh, that means that if we tend to believe that other people will also cooperate, we'll do the same thing. And this, this is where trust comes in. So if we trust other people, then we tend to act in more cooperative ways and you know, uh, various uh, sort of positive social outcomes come from that. So for, for example, think about something like uh, tax paying or recycling, for example, you know, it only makes sense if, other do, if others do the same. Otherwise, you end up with, the, you know, being the soccer, essentially the only one, the only one paying your taxes or, or actually recycling, and then it doesn't matter. And, and, and then, of course, if you trust others to do the, these things, then you tend to do them uh, yourself. And that, that of course, uh, produces a number of, uh, well, essentially, uh, in, in the case of taxes, it, it, it produces um, higher taxes, like, uh, tax revenue, and then for, for that you could uh, could do uh, various forms of um, uh, collective action projects. So, so, so that uh, I think that highlights why why trust is important for co uh, cooperation. Uh, a number of, of of sort of positive things flow from that in, in society in, in general. Hmm. So, um, some places are like you mentioned, Brazil and and Denmark. Some places are more trusting um, than others, and obviously, this is a massively complex question. Uh, but are there, what, how did places become trusting and how do they lose their trust? Right. 
So that is really the the, the, the one uh, the one million dollar question. Uh, it's um, I mean I, I think we like we know uh, we know uh, a number of things about this, uh, but like still a number a lot of other questions that that remain to be answered. Um, I, I uh, so first of all, uh, like like I indicated earlier, that you also just highlighted, there are really massive differences in, in trust levels. It, it's really tremendous uh, tremendous variation across the globe in, in this regard. And uh, generally speaking, you can see uh, Northern Europeans, especially the Nordic countries, being very, very highly trusting. And then you see uh, other countries, such as, for example, Brazil or the Philippines, very, being very low trusting. And, and sometimes you, you, you see trust levels up to around 70 to, 70 to 80% trusting others in, in the Nordic countries, and then maybe less than 10% in some of these countries. So there are really tremendous differences. And of course, that, 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 that raises the question, why is it that uh, you know some countries are much more trusting than others, and 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 uh, you can think of a number of different sort of general explanations. Uh, one of them is sort of more uh, historical, cultural, saying that you know this is essentially a, a deeply ingrained feature of the culture of a given society, and and then you can think about other sort of more contemporary explanations uh, relating to, for example, how uh, different institutions work, or how you know which policies are are. Uh, pursued in, 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 a, in a given country. Um, I, I have studied, for example, uh, the case of Denmark, which I think is, you know, many people, uh, well, at least people working on trust have this perception that it's a very trust, uh, trustful society and it has always been a very trustful society. And that's actually, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's only partly true in a sense because um, we have uh, data back to around 1980, 1979 to be precise, and there we could see that trust levels were still, comparatively speaking, quite high, but not nearly at the level of, of what we see today. So at, at, that, at that time, we saw trust levels around 50% trusting others, slightly less actually. And 30 years, 35 years after, it was around 80% trusting others. So that's a tremendous increase in trust over this period. Mm. And at, at the same time, uh, as you probably know, trust has gone down in the U.S. And that was actually a trend starting even before this. But... You know, of course, uh, that raises the question of what is it then that that sort of that increased uh, trust in Danish society, but not in others, uh, or not in the U.S., for example. We do see like somewhat similar trends in, in Norway and Sweden. So, so, so the, the Danish increase is kind of unique, but it's not. You know, it's also something we do see in other places, but also something we we, we don't see in other places where we've actually seen a deep decline in, in trust. Um, so, so, uh, I mean, I would say that that kind of indicates that this is not something that's necessarily, you know, I've heard arguments saying that, uh, Danish trust goes back to the Vikings or something like that. And I mean, and clearly like with such an increase over such a relatively short period of time that indicates that trust can actually also be, be molded or, 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 um, or, or build up in a, in the shorter run, not only sort of very long term. Um, and, uh, so, so in my own work, I've focused a lot on the influence of institutions. So can, uh, good, this like generic, uh, good institutions, can they, can they actually tend to build up trust? Can they have, uh, positive consequences for our trust in other people? Um, I think there's, uh, quite a lot of evidence suggesting that. Um, and we also know something about in which ways that, that would work in, uh, in that case, um, but I, I kind of see, well, institutions, specifically state institutions of, uh, as kind of laying the foundation for trusting other people. And they can do that in, in a number of ways, but I think most importantly, 
they do so by deterring others from acting in an untrustworthy way. Mm-hmm. And that kind of also highlights why uh, legal systems and police are quite important in that regard, because they are the ones that, that monitor and also sanction people who are not acting in a trustworthy manner. So that's why our trust in, a, in like a fair and impartial uh, judicial system is extremely important, also in the police for actually regulating the interactions we have with others and for actually securing that those interactions tend to be, generally speaking, uh, done on a, on a trustful basis. And that kind of, you know, lays the foundation for us actually trusting others in, in, in my opinion. Mm. And yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself or <laughs> maybe speaking too much. Um, uh, no, 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 you're not. This is actually, um, Great. Before I really, I want to delve into governments, but also I I am personally very curious about the role of education, which also seems to be correlated with trust. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, go ahead. (laughs) You you go ahead. Uh, uh, So, um, okay. uh, I can start and then you can interrupt at any time. Um, So I, I, um, so this is, I think, certainly one of the strongest correlates of trust and actually in the increase in trust we found in Denmark, education also played uh, a role. Uh, you could see that uh, older and poorer uh, educated generations tend to be replaced with younger and better educated ones, trust tended to go up. Of course, it, it then raises the question, why don't we see the same pattern in other countries where you know, you've had a similar traje- trajectory? So there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of questions to be answered, but, but, but coming back to your question, uh, uh, education is clearly strongly uh, correlated with trust. It's one of the most robust uh, correlates that we have. However, there's a lot of um, essentially, well, so, so this, first of all, it's, it's disputed whether this is actually an effect, a causal effect of education to begin with. So the argument is essentially that, you know, is it people with certain characteristics, maybe certain uh, genetic, uh, compositions or, uh, or, um, with certain sort of, uh, very deeply rooted, uh, personality predispositions who tend to select into the educational system and who also tend to be more trusting. So is this, uh, what economists would call the selection story? Is it, is it essentially just that certain people end up in the education system and, and, and they do that on the same basis as they also trust other people? Mm. Uh, so there's a, there's some research indicating that this could be the case. Um, and then there's also, of course, also the perspective saying that education does have a positive effect. And, and actually I'm a little inconsistent here because my own research has sort of indicated both. Uh, and, and maybe that's, that's kind of indicative of the state of research in that, in that, in that regard. Um, but, uh, but, but anyway, so let, let, let's sort of build from the premise that trust, I mean, that education does have a positive effect on trust. Um, in that case, uh, you know, that raises the question of why, why is that exactly? And, uh, I think, you know, you can think of a number of different reasons why this might, uh, this might be the case. So it could be that this works through, uh, other variables or other, uh, things that education tends to uh, promote or decrease. So it could be that, you know, you earn more money and that makes you more, less vulnerable to distrust and therefore it's less costly to trust, for example, could also be that it induces, uh, you know, it gives you a lot of opportunities in life and that induces uh, uh, optimism that you also sort of um, transpose to other people and therefore, you know, become more trustful. Mm. So I think those are like a, a plausible uh, explanations for a potential positive effect, although they are quite hard to uncover empirically. 
there's also research or like ideas at least saying that this could also have to do with uh, with what you're actually taught uh, during your uh, your uh, education or so the content you could say of the education. So for example, is it so that it tends to, especially maybe in humanities or social sciences tend to uh, emphasize certain uh, cosmopolitan values, uh, kind of emphasizing tolerance and that kind of thing. Does it uh, does it uh, lay uh, an emphasis on you know shared human experiences or you know human commonalities and and and, and that uh, and and sort of uh, similar similar aspects that that could potentially also help people or, or like make people. Uh, think about uh, other people in a more trustful way. So, so that's uh, that's another, I think, uh, relatively plausible uh, explanations regarding the, the actual content of the education. Mm. And then, and then finally, you could also uh, think about this as more about who you actually need while you're in the educational system. And there's also some new, interesting uh, research pointing to that, in the sense that you. Uh, you know, you meet certain people there, uh, and you know, you, you can on sort of on a repeated basis, actually interact with them. Uh, also in a situation where it's costly to not sort of act in a trustworthy manner because, you know, people that you have repeated interactions with. So maybe it can also sort of, in a, through like some of those more social mechanisms also tend to, uh, tend to lay a foundation for trust. So, so education and trust, uh, first of all, uh, is uh, is strongly associated, but you know why is that? Is that because certain people select into educations, or is it uh, is it for other reasons? So so that's uh, actually having to do with the education you pursue or the people you meet there. Mm-hmm. That's that's much more hard to that's much harder to uh, uh, to, to disentangle. Right. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating, and I think the the causation arrows run in probably a lot of different directions. Yes, that's true. That too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, fascinating. Um, so, uh, and of course, education uh, is can be seen sort of in a policy lens, and we're looking at a lot of different um, yes. institutional, right, policy kinds of options. Um, and so, uh, as we were discussing, you were discussing earlier a few elements about um, there's actually a concept called institutional trust, right? Um, what is it that our governments um, are doing and, and how is that related to our um, to our own trust? And so um, can you elaborate a little bit on how these things um, yes. might be related? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, uh, like I said before, um, I think it's, yeah, it, first of all, it's important to, to, to dis- distinguish uh, the social trust from institutional trust. Um, and so, so, of course, trust in institutions is, it could also have like this, you know, it could be rep- representatives of certain institutions. So there might be a social element to it too, but it's more about, you know, are you trusting the government? Are you trusting the police? Are you trusting the banks or, you know, other, other institutions. And, and that's sort of a, a different matter. Like what I, what my work has mainly focused on is trust in state institutions. So as a, as a broad label or like covering different aspects or different, different uh, actual institutions uh, under the state. Um, and there is certainly a very strong correlation between trust in institutions and social trust. Uh, and, uh, and why is that? What's, what's the reason for that? Uh, again, it could be that, you know, some people just have a kind of a trusting personality or they have certain personality traits that, that, that go together with both trust in institutions and, and trust in other people in general. Um, I think that's 
almost certainly part of the explanation, but it's not all of it. There also seems to be an actual causal uh, effect of, uh, of, 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 you know, the, the, the one form of trust on the other. Again, this is uh, difficult to disentangle empirically, but some of my own work and work by others use uh, data over time on the same individual. So we can sort of track how one type of trust uh, develops uh, after uh, the other type of trust increases and so on. And, and um, what we do see in those studies is that uh, social trust seems or appears to change after institutional trust changes. So there seems to be like this is an, an indication that it's essentially or primarily so institutional trust influencing or causing social trust. Uh, so at least from some of my own studies and others, there's, there seems to be a, a, an effect of institutional trust on, on trust in other people. So that kind of implies that governments, uh, by uh, sort of uh, acting in a way that sort of uh, invites <laughs> trust, in uh, in in uh, in their institutions can actually can actually also lay the foundation for trust themselves. So, but that of course like raises a, a whole other one million dollar question of how do you build good institutions, which is you know uh, you know a whole research agenda or a huge research agenda on, on its own. But I think it's still important to highlight that you could actually you could actually uh, build up trust by actually having uh, good institutions, quote unquote. That uh, that lays the foundation of for, for social trust, like uh, as I, as I talked about earlier, and 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 I think especially the sort of uh, the incorrupt institutions are extremely important. Again, uh, institutions sort of deter um, untrustworthy behavior. But of course, if, if those institutions are not themselves trustworthy to begin with, if you know that other people can bribe the system for better treatment or uh, whatever it might be at your, at your expense, then uh, those institutions are not particularly trustworthy and, and, and neither are the other people because, you know, they, they, can, um, they can essentially use, use the institutions uh, sort of for their own purposes. And, and that's why it's extremely important to have incorrupt and partial institutions in, in building up trust. Social trust. Yeah, it, it feels very um, circular to me and therefore... Uh, a, a very a very hard problem to solve, right? Because you become, uh, if your institutions are at all distrustful, right. then you become distrusting, and then your society becomes more just dis- you know. Then you have more reason not to trust people. People are acting distrustfully. Exactly. Um, and right. it, it getting out of that cycle. Uh, exactly. You know, what kind but, but, of reset button do you need, right? Exactly. I mean, I mean, this is ex- exactly the, why it's such a hard problem. Like, what, like, how do you sort of break that vicious cycle, so to speak? And like, how do you? And and of course, there's a lot of research in uh, political science and economics and other fields where, where you know, they're trying to understand how can you actually sort of exogenously induce like good institutions one way or another. And it's it's very um, it's very challenging. It's very hard. Um, but you do see every now and then, right, that there are actually improved institutions in, in, in countries. And, and, and of course, those countries are always studied a lot. And, and uh, you know, policymakers and others try to take uh, relevant lessons from those countries to, and, and see if they can sort of be, be transferred or transplanted to, uh, to other contexts. But, but, uh, but that is really important. And like, how do you, how do you sort of fight corruption because it, you know it's so it's so sticky it's so hard to to to, to change especially on a, on a shorter term basis um but nevertheless i would say that is really where you have to start and and uh, yeah that's uh you know I, I think at least that's one another good reason to sort of fight corruption right definitely not the only one but uh but but another good one and, and i think once you 
manage to build trust, then of course the, the positive consequences will start flowing, uh, flowing from, from, from trust in other people. Right. And I think, uh, yeah, that will have, that will lead to a, a number of, a number of desirable benefits. benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, um, we know that, uh, Denmark has unusually high levels of trust and, and, uh, and that's important as a case study to look at, uh, something, I think that a lot of people around the world uh, find important uh, is that one of our most powerful, a lot of our most powerful countries are radically distrusting, right? Um, I, I would imagine. That's, that's true. Yeah. You know, uh, and especially the, we know that the United States is, it's one of the more distrustful countries, isn't it? It's like getting pretty up there. <laughs> it is. I mean, like, so this is actually very interesting because it seems to like, we don't have, uh, data long, uh, like back, back in time, if they're not long, long enough to sort of make a, an actual uh, full-fledged comparison, but it's pretty interesting that around 1980 or so, it seems like the U S and Denmark were almost on a par in terms of trust, at least to some mm. measurements. And then trust has just kept going down in the United States and then kept increasing in Denmark, right? So, so there's essentially crossing curves, or at least you could extrapolate the, the has been crossing curves. So trust in the U S has, uh, has been high historically in the 50s and 60s, but of course also with uh, quite massive differences across groups, right? So uh, especially across racial groups, but also across ethnic groups, you do see very massive differences in the United States in that, in that regard. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and trust has essentially, well, decreased quite substantially, as you said, uh, over the past well, 30, 40, 50, 50 years in the United States. So, so that is, uh, that is a cause of worry, of course, because, uh, you know, provided some of the, 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 the positive consequences I was, I was talking about earlier, you know, this really, uh, this really, uh, yeah, this really prompts concerns. Mm. Um, you mentioned, and I think this is probably important to highlight that trust can actually vary a lot between different demographics in a, in a particular right. place, right? It's right. not, it's not universal. And so you would, Yep. maybe imagine that a demographic that has been comfortably, um, you know, situated pretty comfortably for decades, um, yes. you know, might give a lot of positive data for trust, but if that's shaken, right. With, I don't know, the right. rights movement, all that sort of thing. Uh, and all, of course the disenfranchised communities probably tend to have lower levels of trust as well. Yes. Um, is that, that true? I'm just guessing. <laughs> they, no, no, they, they, they do. I mean, there are really, quite stark differences across, uh, across ethnic and racial groups in the United States. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, as you said, the U S used to be more homogeneous, right. In, uh, in the fifties probably. And, and, uh, than they are, then, than it is now. So I think, uh, I think maybe that's part of the explanation, but, but, um, yeah. So I, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what sort of tra- trajectory is for, for different groups, but they are, they are, uh, they are, they are, there certainly are very massive differences. And actually one interesting aspect I might, I might add is that, uh, in the United States, you tend to see, um, sort of patterns in trust across groups that tend to, uh, correlate with, uh, trust where they came from or where the, you know, groups, uh, originally came from. So, Interestingly, ancestors of um, uh, uh, people who have ancestors uh, in, in Scandinavia, so in the Midwest, essentially tend to be substantially more trusting than than most other groups in, in the United States. So that's you know that kind of raises this issue of is trust something that's uh, part of the, 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 the culture that you are uh, 
socialized into, and uh, you know, how, how does that make mean that it's very hard to uh, to break, essentially, uh, mm-hmm. or you know, build up for that matter? Right, but uh, then I would wonder if over after a generation or two, yeah. we would assimilate to our level of distrust or something. And that's actually what I mean. Interestingly, some at least the you know most results actually indicate that this does not happen. I mean that people tend to sort of hold on to their, uh, mm. to their trust or mistrust. To, and and so a lot of my own work actually focuses on this in the European setting where we don't see the same pattern. Here we see to much higher extent that there's an adaptation to, to the level of trust to where you, where you actually migrate to, sometimes even for the first generation. So, so this, is, uh, this is a little bit of a puzzle, but you know, of course also interesting to think about why is that exactly. Mm. I also think we, we should be a little careful in sort of uh, overestimating the the importance of, of sort of culture whatever that is in, in this context right because of course uh, it's easy to see how certain group memberships certain ethnicities have received different treatments from government you know coming back to to our good institutions work and so on so i think you know i think the story is much more complicated than that uh, in reality mm. um yeah that's interesting so do people and i i know this is a massive generalization do people tend to um a sort of develop a level of predisposition to trust or not trust pretty early in life. And is that consistent or do we see changes in individuals over right. time? Right. Very good question. Uh, uh, especially because this is something I'm very interested in. Uh, so, uh, but I, I think, yeah, I mean, as I see it and like this going to, this going to, uh, it's going to come out as kind of banal, I guess, but like, I, I see it as you kind of, so you're born with a certain genetic makeup and, and already there, we know that that also correlates with trust. Then you are, you, you see early life socialization and, and, you know, I mean, that can come in different forms. It could be, you know, your parents uh, rearing you in certain ways in order to make you trusting or the opposite, but it can also just be sort of observing what your parents do and say, and, and, you know, other, other experiences that are not necessarily sort of uh, directed towards trust, but that is just something that, that sort of influences your your sense of whether other people can be trusted or not. And, and then I think sort of from that outset, you essentially have experiences later in life that tend to sort of adjust, not like radically, I think, alter, but adjust uh, your, your level of trust uh, up and down. And, and this is, you know, this is a, a big debate within this, within this uh, field of research is that, you know, is trust essentially set in stone from the outset from your, um, I don't know, 15 or something like that? Or is it something that you tend to update over your, your life course? And I sort of, I, I strongly believe in the latter perspective. Mm-hmm. That's not to say again, that trust is something that, that changes dramatically from, from one day to another. But I do tend to think that the experiences we have mold our trust and like, maybe not again, like one specific experience, but, uh, but, but, um, I, I think that there's a, I think that over time this kind of accumulates and, and therefore you sort of adjust your trust levels up and down according to what you actually experience. And, and I think, of course, this is also important in relation to uh, thinking about, okay, how can we sort of, uh, to what extent can we actually enable positive experiences and, uh, and, and therefore also build up trust uh, through that, uh, through that route essentially. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's funny. I find I find that I ask my guests, or oh, I probably ask almost all of my guests, like, "What is the impact of the internet?" <laughs> right, uh, which is uh, funny, but uh, but important. So 
Go ahead. What it is. is the impact of the internet? What is the impact of the internet? Uh, uh, here's the answer to that. No, uh, I mean, uh, it's... Um, complicated? <laughs> it's complicated. But, you know, I... I it kind of, it's, that's a boring like researcher uh, response in a sense, but like, I, I think actually, um, I think this is a tremendously important, obviously, but also something that's, uh, that has received way too little attention in not only in this field of research, but also in other adjacent fields. Mm. And I think it's largely a function of this being very hard to sort of study essentially. Uh, but of course we're getting uh, smarter and, uh, you know, we're developing uh, new methods and tools that we use for this. So it's, it's improving, but I think this is drastically understudied to be honest. And, and I, you know, you can think about a number of different ways through which this could operate, I think. And, and, uh, you know, I don't have sort of, uh, you know, I, I think for example, like how, how does sort of mediated reality that would, this is not only an, a part of internet, of course, but it's also, uh, about mass media and information more generally, but you know, how does that influence, uh, how you look at other people, you know, oftentimes in, in other sort of related fields, we talk about how vile, how aggressive people can be online. And like, what does that do to how you, how you view other people? I think that's kind of interesting. I also think it's interesting because, you know, we can maybe, uh, you know, we can, we can think of this as something very dramatic, but it could also be that people are actually surprisingly good at detaching those experiences. Uh, and, uh, and actually, um, and, and actually sort of building their trust more on what they experience in face-to-face or in every, like in their everyday life in, in, in sort of more, uh, daily interactions. So I, I think, I think, uh, I think this is very much an open question, essentially. You can also think, I mean, and, and I think sometimes maybe due to the media, there's this, all this like hysteria about this could have so many negative consequences, which is true. But at the same time, you could see, okay, the internet also enables you to have positive experiences with people, you know, throughout the world. You can sort of talk to someone, you know, in the United States or I don't know, wherever and, 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 and have a conversation about a common interest of yours or, you know, something like that. So there's also a dramatic number of opportunities and possibilities that you can take advantage of through the internet. And, and, uh, it's not, I mean, I think you can make plausible hypotheses either way. Like they can have positive and negative consequences it certainly alters the way we interact with other people in, 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 you know, we do that much more, uh, online than we, that, you know, something we haven't really done before. And I, and I think like that, I think that is really interesting to uncover what that, what that actually means, uh, whether it's positive or negative, I, I think it, 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 it's, it's kind of hard to, uh, to, to sort of adjudicate a priori, but I, I would say one thing though. Um, so as I understand, there's quite a lot of evidence showing that, uh, that, uh, social media in particular can have negative, uh, consequences for mental health, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, cause it conveys images of other people as being, you know, much more successful and, you know, living much more ideal life than yourself. And, and even though, you know, it's kind of a created image, right. Then you, you still think of it as something, uh, you know, it, you take it in cause it just makes it more salient, make, make social comparisons more salient to you. And maybe it doesn't, doesn't do anything good for your self-esteem and, and maybe your optimism. And because we know those things tend to be quite robustly correlated with trust. And if this is the case, if, if the evidence actually holds up in this regard, I think that could be one pathway through which trust could be negatively affected. But uh, it remains to be seen, of course. Yeah, ab- absolutely. There's, uh, oh, there's so many directions I could go with that. So I... Um, I have spent some time um, chatting with social psychologists on this question of self-esteem, uh, which 
happens, I think, to be uh, really relevant to the the fabric of our society, right? And sort of our um, our personal significance is really interesting to me and in how it sort of influences the way that we interact with other people. Um, I'm not altogether sure that that, like, are there studies of the relationships between self-esteem and trust or um, is it, is that not something that's a part of this study? Oh, I mean, it is, uh, it certainly is, uh, it is, it is, I think probably a bit more from a psychology angle than what I've than, than my own research. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but there, there are studies indicating that, that, you know, that, that you do find a positive association between the two. Um, I mean, and I think it, it, you know, it, it's coming back to some of the questions we talked about in relation to others, other, uh, central variables in relation to trust, namely, you know, is this then because certain people have a certain personality when they tend to be more, uh, self-confident have higher self-esteem or, and, and therefore also trust, or is it, you know, is it an actual effect of one on the other? And, and that's super hard to tease out, but I, I still think it's a, it's a relevant question in, in, in any case. Um, I probably also think it's something that we should study more. I've studied something a little bit, uh, similar or slightly akin to this, namely looking at how personality traits tend to correlate with, with trust. And of course, self-esteem, I would imagine at least is also, uh, correlated with certain personality traits. And, and you do see that, uh, that, that trust do tend to be, uh, quite strongly associated with various dimensions of personality according to sort of, uh, typical models of personality. So, 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 you know, to me, that also raises the question is trust an aspect of people's personality or is it, you know, how, how should we even think about this? Is it a mm. predisposition, predisposition in its own right, or is it actually just part of your personality? And, and I mean, teasing those things out, I think is important, but also very, very, uh, complicated, uh, frankly. Um, so I think the obvious question then is, uh, what, what sorts of personality traits are we looking at? Like the big five, right? Yeah, is, yeah is openness exactly. Correlated with trust. Yes. Mm. It was, I, I, I specifically looked at the big five and, uh, you know, I saw, for example, unsurprisingly agreeableness, very highly correlated with trust, which was, you know, very much to be expected given that, uh, you know, agree, actually one facet of agreeableness is trust. So, uh, you know, this, this becomes very circular potentially. Right. And, and, uh, you know, so we did a, a number of things in order to take that into account. And we actually found that it mattered quite a bit if, if we took out that specific facet of the, of, of, uh, of that personality trait. You, I mean, I think it's more or less as expected. Neuroticism tends to be negatively correlated, openness, highly correlated, positively correlated with trust. So, yeah, I mean, I think overall it was, it was a little bit, as I would have expected more or less. Um, uh, but I mean, it, has, it, ra- it also raises another, I think quite pertinent question in, in, in relation to a lot of these things, namely that everything is based on survey data, right? Like, and, and we also just know that there's this, uh, more or less universal aspect, which is called common method bias. The fact that you measure two constructs through the same, uh, instrument that they, then they just more or less by virtue of that tend to be, be, be possibly correlated. It's a much more technical discussion, but I'm just saying this is one reason why it's hard to, uh, to disentangle these things in a, in a convincing way. Um, yes. And I am very tempted to do that, but I think there's, uh, there's one big topic yet that we haven't touched on, which is, uh, ethnic diversity and immigration, which I think yeah. is important. Um, it is, yeah. so, uh, can you, let's see, 
um, immigration is uh, ethnic diversity has been demonstrated to matter for trust, right? And so obviously yes. is important for that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what you know about how immigration impacts trust? Yes, um, I, I can. So, um, so that could be through, uh, you, could, you, could, you could imagine different channels in that regard. And, and like I spoke about earlier, one is of course, like what happens to those people who migrate to a different country do they uh, do they tend to uh, culture Do they sort of uh, take over the level of trust of the of the native population of where they move to, or is it something that they bring with them and, and sort of stick to that, and then maybe also pass it on to their kids in the next generation? So that's a little bit more of a, like a compositional argument. Um, and then, of course, I think the big discussion is about primarily what happens to uh, natives trust when they uh, tend to encounter uh, immigrants or people of different ethnicity in different contexts of their lives. And this has been uh, studied and, and discussed widely over the past well, 15, even like long, for a longer time. Uh, and especially this result from the United States by Robert Putnam coming out showing that people tend to lose trust if they live among uh, other, more people of, of different ethnic uh, background, and both their trust in other people in general, but also the trust in groups that are different from themselves, also even trust in their own groups. So this is... Uh, that was a very striking and provocative study from, uh, from the U.S. And since then, this has been essentially, well, replicated, but also uh, expanded on in a number of different contexts. So now there's, there's literally hundreds of studies uh, uh, studying this, uh, this specific question, primarily focusing on the residential context. Uh, of course, this is a context that most people have, a uh, context that most people have, uh, and also one where, you know, you're more or less bound to, to, to have exposure to that, to that group if you live, if you live uh, or to, to, to different ending groups if you live, if you live close to them. Uh, so it's, it's sort of a very pertinent social setting in a sense, social arena. Um, I would say my own research indicate that in the Danish context, residential, I think diversity in residential settings do tend to, uh, to depress trust. So trust goes down a little bit when you live in more uh, ethnically diverse uh, surroundings. And, and that also that I mean I think that goes to uh, that also goes for a number of other countries although it's not completely consistent across contexts. So I would say, uh, and I'm actually working on sort of a meta analysis of this right now. But I, I would say uh, the overall impression is that there's a, a slight negative effect of, of ending diversity in residential contexts on, on trusting other people. It's not doesn't hold up in all contexts. Sometimes it's not, not you know, statistically distinguishable from zero and so on. But like it's you know, the, the overall suggests sort of is that there is this negative, negative association. Mm. Um, but again, it's typically not super strong. And uh, yeah, of course, it's, it's, I think especially interesting in the Danish context is also that, you know, so at, at one hand, on the one hand, we see that there are these negative effects of, of any diversity in residential settings. At the same time, we also see trust increasing very massively in, in, in Denmark over this period of time that we've, we've, we've studied. So clearly there are sort of... Uh, counteracting forces going on in, in, in this regard. Right. Because if you are consistently <laughs> encountering, or um, I think you distinguish um, contact um, and exposure, yes. if you're yes. encountering versus if you're interacting with people, then yeah. you sort of learn that they're just human anyway, and you become pals. Um, right. And, and this is like, a, this is of course a, a huge idea within social psychology, as you know, uh, you know the so-called contact theory 
essentially saying that people's prejudice uh, and stereotypes tend to be reduced with actual interactions with them under certain circumstances. People uh, will have more sort of uh, less, well, I'd say less biased uh, perceptions of, of, of our group, essentially, uh, ethnic or otherwise. Um, and, and this idea has then been sort of uh, transplanted to the social trust question. Uh, mm-hmm. And I am not always fully convinced or like entirely sure of how how that sort of applies in the trust setting. Um, and, and because I think trusting other people in general is something different than than having uh, negative uh, stereotypes or, or prejudice, prejudice towards, uh, towards certain uh, uh, specific outgroups. Um, but, but nevertheless, I mean, you could, you could argue that, of course, having contact with others, you know, to a higher extent, you see them as part of your own group. And then, you know, therefore, you sort of develop, uh, or there's also indi- trust show, uh, research indicating that, uh, that, uh, you know, if you have positive contact, it actually also produces positive views on, on other groups, other outgroups, not only the uh, specific outgroup you're in contact with. So you could imagine this could have these positive consequences for trust. Um, I would say it's still disputed whether this is the case or not. I've recently done a study focusing on the workplace. And the reason why we, we did that is that we, contrary to the residential setting, we argued that the workplace is actually, uh, it's a good it's a good setting to uh, to examine contact because this is much more likely to happen in this context mm-hmm. where uh, people interact on a you know repeatedly on, on more or less on a daily basis they often collaborate uh, sort of for for common purposes and so on so you know a lot of the a lot of the conditions that were initially formulated to to sort of uh, promote positive contact effects is actually also uh, in place in the workplace so 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 we we examined uh, the relationship between uh, ethnic diversity in the workplace and social trust, and we actually found the same results as we did in the in the residential setting, indicating that apparently there's not so much support for the for the contact argument in that case. And I think you know it's relevant to ask why is that. Um, I think I think one question is that, uh, or I mean, okay, let me let me sort of zoom out and see this from a different angle. I would say that exposure to other groups is essentially unavoidable, more or less, unless if you have complete segregation, which is obviously not desirable. Uh, but, but, um, but, you know, exposure to, to outgroups or ethnic outgroups is essentially unavoidable in, in a multi-ethnic society. You know, you'll see them where you, where you live and where you work and where you shop and so on and so forth. So you will see the outgroup. It, it's something that always takes place. Contact, on the other hand, is much, much more selective. It could happen under certain circumstances, but it's also... You know, it's much more self-selected, essentially. Of course, we choose where to live, but I think there's much more, much stronger selection process going on and who chooses our friends and that kind of thing. So, and, 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 you know, even when this is the case, when we do have positive contacts with members of different groups, then we also know there's often a tendency for people not to sort of generalize those experiences and, and, and more think about that specific person as, you know, as some as a specific member as an individual instead of a member of, of that of that group. So, so the, it's very hard to sort of generalize these, uh, these contact effects, even though they, they, they are there, uh, research has shown, uh, actually generalizing that to your view on, uh, on, on other people in general can be, uh, I think can be quite challenging. Yeah. And I imagine that it would be hard to study such a thing, but I wonder often that too. If, yeah. uh, <laughs> if we, you know, bringing, bringing the internet back into relevance. Uh, I f- there's a sense in which the internet makes the world feel a lot smaller 
right? And you right. can encounter, uh, or there could hypothetically be more instances in which you encounter people but don't interact with them. Um, you know, you're exactly. not- I mean, I think I completely agree. I think this is tremendously interesting, and and you know, uh, I you know, you can also go further. You can imagine like. Do you sort of substitute uh, social life outside, uh, you know, with, with actual people uh, or, you know, face-to-face interactions with people uh, for, uh, for being online with people? And does that sort of make you, make you less capable of understanding, like, interaction in social situations and, and stuff like that, right? And, and I think that's – and if this is the case, then you're going to end up with fewer, less positive experiences because you're not sort of – uh, you're not sort of sensitized to that. You're not, uh, you don't know how to, uh, to act in these situations and, and therefore you tend to have less positive encounters with others. I think that's extremely interesting idea. And, and you know, the whole thing, how does, how, how do the two like kind of like real world and, 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 um, and, uh, and, uh, internet, uh, social interactions, how do they complement each other? How do they, uh, work together? And is, is, is there a tendency for one to sort of overshadow the other and, uh, yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think that is uh, I think that is super pertinent. I, I, I hope someone will take it up, uh, if not myself, at some point. <laughs> okay, I'll email you in a couple of years and to see. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Please all right. Do. Well, um, I I would like to I would like to let you go. I'm wondering uh, if if there's anything uh, left that we haven't discussed that you think is important. Do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share? Um, Right. Um, no, actually, I just want to, you know, I think congratulate you on, I think, uh, I think a, a, a very nice show. I mean, uh, I, I was like listening up on it a little bit and, uh, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a very nice, and it, it was, it was fun to be part of and um, you know, I'm happy to, to talk about my research. So thanks a lot for inviting me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. This has been really edifying and I'm, I'm able to have really um, I'm, I feel so grateful to be able to have these uh, very interdisciplinary conversations. And so I love sort of, that is also a great point actually. And I, you know, I'm a political scientist myself, but you know, I think a lot of people would think that what I'm doing is more sociology or social psychology. And I, you know, I don't think we should get stuck on labels. I think we should focus much more on, on the specific content or the you know, subject that we study. And, and, uh, yeah, I think good thing that interdisciplinary is collaboration is becoming, you know, the thing that people do because I think it's obviously necessary if we want to solve problems or ask, you know, answer questions that are obviously cross-cutting uh, across fields. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very important. Um so thank you. I actually didn't know you were a political scientist. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Uh, sorry. I should have warned you. <laughs> but uh, no, they, yes. So that technically uh, makes you the first political scientist on the show. Okay. Um, okay. Have but it be. also, <laughs> that also demonstrates uh, again, like the, the labels are not particularly relevant, right? You have a good message. Super artificial. Content. Yeah. 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 Um, Absolutely. Okay. Well, um, thank you again, Peter. Uh, I, Thanks so much. I and all of us are so honored to have you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. Okay. Um, Take care then. Have a lovely day. Take care.